Dysphagia describes eating, drinking and swallowing difficulties in an individual of any age. Dysphagia is always secondary to a primary psychological, emotional, neurological or physical condition, according to the Royal College of Speech and Language Therapists. It can be temporary, resolving through re rehabilitation, or it can deteriorate and persist, becoming a permanent condition. Someone will suffer with dysphagia when the muscles that are used to chew and swallow become weak or are uncoordinated. This can include problems positioning food in the mouth and in oral movements, including sucking, chewing and the process of swallowing. Some groups of patients have high rates of dysphagia. Up to 75% of nursing home residents, a similar proportion of stroke survivors, a third of people with multiple sclerosis and 10% of older people in hospital have swallowing problems, studies suggest. I'm Erin Dean from Nursing Standard and in this podcast I'll be talking about dysphagia to Rachel Jones, Senior Advanced Nurse Practitioner in Stroke at the Royal Wolverhampton NHS Trust and Chair of the National Stroke Nursing Forum. Thanks for joining me today, Rachel. We've just heard that swallowing problems are not an uncommon problem um, for many groups of patients. And so it's something I think that nurses are very likely to come across. Um, so why is recognising dysphagia so important? So, Erin, um, first of all, dysphagia, it's, it's not a problem that goes away quickly and easily. It takes time and needs rehabilitation. And in some cases, you know, that someone's swallow can be impaired indefinitely for the rest of their life. So I think it's really important that we recognise when people are having swallowing difficulties as it has such a huge impact on their life. Um, you know, it, it can the whole diet needs to change. Um, and obviously, people don't realise that it's quite significant. If they're having problems with their swallowing, it can lead to malnutrition, it can lead to recurrent chest infections um, and unfortunately those chest infections can develop into things such as aspiration pneumonia which actually can cause a risk of death as well which people don't realise. So yeah we're talking about something um, a very dangerous potentially very dangerous condition aren't we and it sounds like it needs to be picked up by nurses or other healthcare staff as soon as possible. Yes, definitely. It's really important that it's recognised and that we make the right referrals through to, um, and depends obviously where you're working, but, you know, staff in nursing homes would expect them to recognise it, speak to their GP and get referrals through to community speech and language. Um, and in hospital, we'd expect people to recognise it and obviously get the in-hospital teams to pick it up and come and do their assessments quite quickly as well. And what um, what can put people at higher risk of dysphagia? Are there um, some particular groups that, that nurses should be particularly aware of? Yes. Well, I mean, obviously, anyone who's had a stroke, um, you know, so all patients who've had a stroke should be assessed um, within four hours of, of stroke symptoms to see if there's any swallowing problems. But there's also another cohort of patients. So our elderly patients, particularly those with dementia or those that might have Parkinson's. So these neurological conditions that progress over time, it's having that awareness that their, their swallow can change over time as well. So it might be well, um, you know, they might have a good swallow one day, but actually over a couple of weeks that could decline and change and actually require reassessment again. So there's quite a, a, a fluctuation there. Also, some of our cancer patients, so anyone with mouth or throat cancer or esophageal cancer, you know, are likely to have problems with swallowing as well. So, you know, we all need to have that awareness that these things can change. 
So it sounds like um, every nurse needs to know what to look out for and what signs and symptoms um, would you recommend that people are aware of? So, yeah, I mean, the most obvious ones are, you know, clear problems with swallowing. So people are coughing, they're spluttering, they're choking on food. That's the very big sort of red flag that you would notice. But sometimes it's a little bit more subtle. So it might be um, that people are taking much longer to chew things in their mouth or to drink. Um, that might be taking them multiple attempts to try and swallow. Um, dribbling from the mouth is quite common as well. Um, and sometimes we you know we after they've had something to eat and drink we might recognize that they have what we call a wet sounding voice so they sound a bit gurgly afterwards because there's something there that in the voice box that shouldn't be um but yeah the most obvious ones are you know coughing and spluttering choking that would really you'd notice that straight away mm-hmm. and how um how should nurses go about assessing difficulties um and how much is how much does that fall within the nursing role um, it, it really just depends on um, what setting you're in, to be honest. So we would not recommend that nurses would do any formal uh, swallowing assessments or tests. So obviously, if you're um, in the community or in the nursing homes, if you're uh, in a rehab setting and you're noticing that someone has got these problems, what we would say is, is tell the patient not to eat and drink and to speak to either a GP or if they're already under speech and language therapist, speak to them first. Um you know, they, they obviously need to be reassessed. When someone comes to hospital with a stroke, in the first instance, it's a little bit different. So some of the stroke specialist nurses have training um, in order to do a very simple screen, uh, a swallowing screen. But all they do is say yes or no, whether something's safe or not. So for nurses, we're not asking you to do any training or any complex assessments on a patient. We just want you to recognise there's a problem and to act escalate it to the right people basically. So it's just being aware of those risks and the initial signs to look out for and then where to go for more help really. Yes definitely yeah. And I mean I think for for all of us eating and drinking is about so much more than just nutrition and hydration isn't it? It's it's bound up with so much um, socialising and pleasure uh, and family events so it plays Um, a very important role in in most of our lives. So do do nurses need to recognise that element um, around food and how important is it to include patients in discussions around risk, do you think? Oh, it's so important. And you're right, eating and drinking, you know, we all do it day by day and we don't even realise that it's such a key part of our lives. We take it for granted. Um, And it's only when someone takes that ability away from you, you know, that it becomes a problem. And, you know, and some people will be able to have modified diets, but, it, you know, it can people can feel embarrassed by having to eat things that have been pureed or to have thickener in drinks. So, you know, there's a big psychological impact from having problems with swallowing. And I think that's really important for us to talk through uh, with our patients. Um, I think also as well, you know, when we're talking about how we manage it, you know, we're talking about how someone might be coping, you know, long term. So it's talking through the risks, the pros and cons, why it's important Um, And a lot of decisions, particularly in complex cases, you know, the speech and language therapists, nurses, doctors and the patients will all chat together to come up with the best option. Um, Because sometimes what might be right medically 
psychologically might be you know of real detriment to, to the individual um but yeah we need to be involving our patients all the way through the process and talking it through with them so that they understand why it's important to, to monitor their swallow and so it sounds like sometimes um or always their views are really important and and to try and protect um an element of of um, eating can be be an, an important aspect of their life. Oh, definitely. And I think you know you'll speak to any speech language therapist, any nurse. You know, the we don't want to take away someone's ability to eat and drink completely. So they'll always be looking at how can we try some sort of modified option, um, some sort of trial to allow people to eat and drink. It's only when it's so unsafe that they would say, "Oh, you are you know." not allowed to eat and drink and we would think about other permanent feeding options so for example things like ng tubes so nasal gastric feeding tubes um, or uh, genostomies as well so there's a few there's other options but they're always a very last resort we'll always try and manage it you know day to day in the first instance and and how should that happen is it can it be quite complex to to manage swallowing problems it can it can and obviously your your swallow can vary as well so if you're if you have a condition that's obviously deteriorating um over a period of time so dementia or parkinson's um then obviously you need to be prepared that at some point your swallow will get worse again and again you can only maintain it for so long so it's been prepared for that um and in other cases you might find that if you become unwell so for example people who've had a stroke who maybe get a bit of a, a chest infection their swallow can sometimes worsen for a short period of time so they need reassessment and support but then actually it improves again afterwards um so it's being mindful that you know there's this fluctuation there um and you know you've got to 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 be monitoring it at all times is probably what we would say and um, and people can be on modified diets, as you mentioned before, can't they? What kind of things can they include? Um, so there's lots of different options. So some people, it might just be that they need to have softer textures of food, things that are not very difficult to chew. Some people may have to have foods that are completely pureed with no lumps in. Um, some people will like fatigue very easily so are actually only allowed limited amounts of food so they might for example only be allowed five to six teaspoons of food at each meal time before they're too tired to eat um so it it's very much tailored to the individual patient um some people are fine with eating and it's actually fluids that they struggle with some will struggle with both um but there's also different strengths of thickener that we can use in fluids to so that you can make fluids almost chunky so that you, you're almost having them with a spoon so it makes them thicker and easier to swallow so there's all different variants and that's why speech and language is so important because they do those assessments they do all the exercises um, and they tailor what is needed for that patient it's a very much an individual um, prescription of, of pure a diet or of thickened fluids for example um, and then they monitor and observe and they would then make recommendations to change that if required Thank you so much, Rachel. Um, thank you for sharing your experience and, and time with us today for a very, um, what's clearly a very complex problem that needs a, a multidisciplinary approach um, for the patient. Absolute pleasure. Thank you so much for inviting me to talk today. Thank you. And thank you very much for listening. 
Just a reminder that all the resources connected with this episode of the show can be found at rcni.com forward slash podcast, where you can also catch up on any episodes you may have missed or simply want to play back. And we greatly appreciate any feedback, so please do rate or review us on Apple or Spotify podcasts, which will also help other people to find us. I hope you enjoyed the show.